Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts at the start of every video. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, LT Punisher 666, Chris BLK Chris, Canopsia, Tegan S, and The Real CFED 22. Thank you so, so much. In fact, thank you to every single person that supported the channel since I've been starting to do it full time again. I'm so thankful for everything you do for me, whether it's being a member of those who dwell below, subscribing, leaving a thanks tip, or even just liking a video. Every single thing you guys do really helps so much. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Boy Scout Lane by Earthbound Angel in the quiet countryside of Stevens Point, there is a piece of land that is not so quiet. It is Boy Scout Lane, and its legend has been around for over 20 years. A brief summary for all of those who do not know about this place. One version of the story is that a troop of Boy Scouts on a camping trip were murdered by their bus driver on this isolated road. Another version of the story is that a Boy Scout troop mysteriously disappeared on this road and was never seen again. A third story is that a troop of Boy Scouts were camping here and some of them were wandering around at night and accidentally dropped a lantern, resulting in a fire that killed the rest of the troop. However, there is no evidence of missing persons or a mass murder or a tragic fire. The road got its name because at one time the Boy Scouts owned the land and had intentions of building a Boy Scout camp, but that never happened. Now that you know the history, I can explain our experience. It was a warm July night in 2005. My friend Erin was visiting our mutual friend Michelle and I up in Stevens Point. Michelle and I had worked at a Boy Scout camp that summer, and Erin was to bring me back home to Minnesota when the weekend was over. We were bored, so Michelle suggested that we go to Boy Scout Lane and do a little investigation. We had gone to a bookstore the day before and found the story in there. It intrigued us, so soon we were on our way with me in the back seat, video camera in hand. Right when we turned onto the road, we felt uneasy. You know, that dreaded feeling of being watched. Being the young adults that we were, we made jokes and tried to shake off that feeling. We went down the road and turned around. Nothing special happened. What we saw when we got home is a different story. Michelle hooked the video camera up to the television and played the footage. At first it looked like nothing interesting, until there was a point where I coughed, and right after that, a heavy whispering breath followed. It was not me. Michelle, Aaron and I looked at each other with wide eyes, and we turned back to the television. The other two saw a bright ball of light flash by the screen for a split second, but I did not. As I recorded us driving back to the main road, I faced the rolled up window, as everyone does, towards the fields that were supposed to turn into a camp. I had the infrared light on on the camera, in case something moved in the field. Nothing moved in the field. Instead, we saw a face pressed up against the window. And no, it wasn't my face. The small screen of the video camera did not project enough light, and I was not pressed up against the window. When the three of us saw this, we screamed, 
and Michelle's mother started yelling at us. We ran into her room and told her what happened. She scolded us, yet refused to watch the footage. Another little tidbit that we saw was in the rearview mirror of the car, there were two stationary lights in the upper corners. The area Boy Scout Lane is in is away from the city limits, and no car was behind us. The lights did not leave until we got deep into town again. We have not gone out there since, but we have shown the tape to others and they see the same things. I don't know if Boy Scouts really haunt the area, but something does. I live in Stevens Point now, and this town has a lot of history to it. Anything is possible, and it just makes me more of a believer. Demonic Possession or Witchcraft by Haven This happened when I was around 12 years old. My mum took my siblings and I to visit her mum in her hometown in Mexico during our summer break. As soon as we got there, we were told not to wander too close to the neighbour's house. Strange things seemed to be happening there. Apparently, the 16-year-old that lived across the street was possessed. Her grandmother actually used the phrase, has the devil in her. It started with the girl hearing somebody whisper, then she claimed she was able to hear footsteps that followed her everywhere. She stopped eating, sleeping, and every morning would find scratches and bruises all over her body. The priest had been called and he had blessed the house several times, but it didn't seem to stop. Her parents had to send their other children to stay with grandparents because they were too scared to stay in the house with her as she was beginning to have violent, manic episodes. Some people in town said that when they walked by that house they felt uneasy, and some even claimed they saw shadows and heard strange noises. My cousins were scared to walk by there and would rather go the opposite way and walk around the block just to get to a store that was two houses down from that house. By the way, this house was across the street from my grandma and two houses to the left. I'm not gonna lie, I was scared too, but I also had this morbid curiosity. Every time we had to leave my grandma's house, I looked that way and stared. I don't really know what I was hoping to see. One morning, I woke to the grown-ups talking about what had happened across the street during the night. Apparently, a big stain appeared overnight on one of the walls. A stain that looked a lot like blood. They washed the stain with soap and water and painted over where the stain was. By that evening, the stain was there again. They went to get the priest, and once again cleaned the stain and prayed while the priest blessed the house and threw holy water at the wall. By the morning, the stain was back. The word around town spread, and people had gathered and formed prayer groups. It seemed that they were praying non-stop. One group of people would leave and the others would show up all carrying rosary beads. My cousins, siblings and I were under strict orders not to get close to that house. My grandma thought we might also get possessed or something might follow us home. Of course, us being kids, we decided we wanted to go and look at this blood stain on the wall. So off we went, hiding behind other people so our grandma and mothers wouldn't see us. There was a lot of people and not everyone fit inside the house or they were afraid to go in. There was a lot of people just outside of the entrance. As we got closer, we heard a girl yelling as if in pain. We also heard growling, but
but I'm not sure if the girl was also making these noises. Everyone there was praying the rosary in unison, but you were able to hear the girl's voice crying and asking for help. Then she would start yelling, screaming, and you would hear growling. At this point, my cousins, my brother and my sister had turned back in fear. My sister grabbed my arm and tried pulling me back, but I had to see for myself who was making those noises. I pushed my way inside the house, and what I saw next I will never forget. I saw a girl tied with ropes to a banister of the house. She looked to be almost just skin and bones. I don't know what I was expecting to see, but it shocked me, and I gasped. For a second, it almost seemed like she heard me and turned my way. I swear, she was staring straight at me and smiled. I was frozen to the spot, unable to move. Then I felt someone pull me back so hard, I almost lost my balance. It was my grandmother that was dragging me out of there. I don't think I ever saw her that mad. She was fit to be tied. As was the norm, I got in a lot of trouble for disobeying. Only this time, I was really sorry that I did. I was so scared, and kept seeing the girl's face and grin in my head every time I closed my eyes. I thought for sure she was going to get loose and come for me. Days after that, we headed back home to the US. The last I heard, the girl had gotten better. No one is sure if the priest coming over and blessing the house every day, or the town folk praying non-stop, is what helped her, but they say that a witch was also summoned. The witch's belief was that this was not a demonic possession, but a very strong case of witchcraft or black magic. Apparently, this was done to her out of jealousy. She was very pretty and caught the eye of the wrong man. After she got better, she was sent away to live with relatives in the US. I don't know exactly what was wrong with her and how she got better. All I am sure of is that I saw her with my own eyes, saw the condition she was in, and heard the most god-awful noises come out of her, such as I've never heard before. Many years have passed, but this is something that is very clear in my memory. I still remember that face and that smile, and it still scares me to this day. The Gashadakuro Gashadakuro are skeletal giants which wander around the Japanese countryside in the darkest hour of the night. Their teeth chatter and their bones rattle, but they are not always noisy. If they should happen upon a human out late on the roads, the Gashadakuro will silently creep up and catch their victims, crushing them in their hands or biting off their head. The origins of the creature are from soldiers whose bodies rot in the fields and victims of famine who die unknown in the wilderness and rarely receive proper funerary rites. Unable to pass on, their souls are reborn as ghosts, longing eternally for that which they once had. These people die with anger and pain in their hearts. That energy remains long after their flesh has rotted from their bones. As their bodies decay, their anger ferments into a grudge against the living which twists them into a supernatural force. When the bones of hundreds of victims gather together in one mass, they form the humongous skeletal monster known as the Gashidakuro. Too large and powerful to be killed, Gashidakuro maintain their existence until the energy and malice stored up in their bodies has completely burnt out. However, 
because of the large amount of dead bodies required to form a single one, these abominations are rarer today than they were in the past, when war and famine were a part of everyday life. The earliest record of Agashio de Kuro goes back over a thousand years to a bloody rebellion against the central government by a samurai named Teira no Masakado. His daughter, Takayashihime, was a famous sorceress. When Masako was eventually killed for his revolt, his daughter continued his cause. Using her black magic, she summoned a great skeleton from the bodies of dead soldiers to attack the city of Kyoto. Her monster is depicted in a famous print by Utagawa Kuniyoshi. Paranormal Entity in Upstate New York by John Berv 45 It was a normal Monday evening, and I met up with my friend how I usually do. However, instead of playing video games, we decided to go out and explore an old abandoned building near one of our houses. We had been there before in the past, so we knew our way around pretty well. Once we got there, we snuck in through a broken window, which at one point was blocked by a piece of plywood. There was some light that allowed us to see and navigate through. Security sometimes surveils the building, so we had to be cautious. Once we made it inside, we began to walk around and explore different parts of the building. We mostly saw trash and graffiti, but nothing out of the ordinary. When looking around, my buddy said he heard a door close. I hadn't heard anything though, so I told him that his mind could be messing with him, and he should just relax. We did stay on the lookout though for other people, as we did not want to confront anyone else. We finally got to a stairwell that leads to the basement of the building. I went ahead first, and as I was walking down the stairs, I felt a hand touch my shoulder. I quickly turned around to see if it was my buddy, only to find him several steps behind me. He asked me, what's wrong? I communicated to him that I felt something touch my shoulder, and that I thought he was trying to get my attention. He denied it was him, and showed me he couldn't reach me from where he was on the staircase. At the time, I dismissed my experience, and concluded that it was my imagination. When we finally reached the bottom of the staircase, we continued our exploration, while joking around about past events in high school. As we made our way through a series of rooms, we reached a long hallway that had giant pipes that ran along the side of it. They were orange and bright, which was the most unusual colour in the building. At this point, we had been at the building for a while, and thought about taking a picture to post on our social media accounts. I suggested that he should go first, since he's more photogenic than I am. Once we found the ideal angle for the picture, we went ahead and took it. Once the picture was captured, I took a look at it, and noticed a dark shadow next to my friend. I was puzzled at first, wondering if it was my shadow, only that I had not seen anything like it before I took the photo, and I would have noticed if my shadow was in the frame. At this point, my friend noticed something was up, and asked to take a look at the picture. I watched his face grow wary as he stared at the photo. I asked him what he thought it was, and he was just as confused as I was. Fear began to seep in, and we began to feel a sense of dread. I asked him, you think it's a ghost? He nodded. At this point, I began to worry about our well-being, and no longer felt safe where we were. I suggested we head out immediately. Before he could answer, 
A feeling of disgust swept the hallway, and before he could answer, I already started heading towards the stairwell. Everything after that moment went by so fast. Before we knew it, we were in my car, and my mind was all but a blur. We sat in the car silent, only to look at each other with a sense of relief. At this point, I suggested we get something to eat, to take our mind off the whole incident, which he agreed to. Since then, neither of us has really talked about the incident, although I plan on bringing it up with him soon. I cannot help but keep looking at the picture I took, as I am confident that what I caught is a picture of a paranormal entity. Athens County Dogman My girlfriend and I were driving down a remote country road in the early summertime late one evening. She was the one driving, I was in the passenger seat, and the sun was setting behind us. We had just come around a curve when two does jumped out onto the road in front of us. They acted like we weren't even there. They seemed to be focused on something else. So my girlfriend jammed on the brakes and brought the car to a stop. I told her, man, that was close. That's when I looked up into the rearview mirror to see if any more deer were coming. When I did that, in the red glow of the car's taillights, I saw some thing take a big step into the road from the brush that was on the side of the road. Whatever it was, landed on its right leg when it did that. Looking at it in the rearview mirror, I could see it from its mid-thigh up to its stomach. In one motion, it took another step forward and put what looked to be a hand down on the trunk of the car to apparently balance itself. When I saw that, I turned to look at my girlfriend. She was wide-eyed, her mouth was wide open, and she was white as a ghost. I could also see that her eyes were tearing up, so I looked back, but by that time, it had already gone across the road. In an attempt to get a better look at this thing, I opened my door and got out of the car. When I looked, I could see that it was going down the embankment that was on the side of the road. Because of the brush, I could only see it from the armpits up. It was at least seven feet tall and had very wide shoulders. Its shoulders were at least one and a half times as wide as mine, and I've got wide shoulders for a guy. From the last bit of daylight left, I could see that it was black or dark brown in colour and had pointed ears on top of its head, like a dog. Its ears weren't overly wide or fuzzy. Its head was kind of dome-shaped more or less, with flat sides. It acted like we weren't even there and seemed to remain focused on the deer. I was thinking, what in the world is this thing? It looked like some kind of werewolf or wolfman to me. It was way too big to be a person. Through that whole ordeal, I never did get a chance to see its face. In the area where we saw that thing, people have reported being paced in their vehicles, going down the road, by creatures that look like what I saw. Terror at the Lake by Quasar the recent lockdown has given me an unusual and mostly welcome respite from work and the ongoing rat race. Like many of you reading my story, I have been connecting with my family and friends by Skype and Zoom, and there has been a lot of talk and recollection of past events, especially holidays abroad and social gatherings. During one of my virtual weekly family sessions recently, the discussion was on a family trip to India in 1992, 
it was a rare occasion because together with ourselves from the UK, we're also flying to India from the States, as well as my uncle and his family from Dubai. In essence, this had very quickly become a family reunion vacation. I was 13 at the time and was looking forward to the trip and also to meet up with my cousins and wider family. As the virtual gathering progressed, my cousin from the States made reference to the time where I fell ill at the lake. To be completely honest, the incident was suppressed deep in my memory and it took a good few minutes to recollect the incident. As soon as this happened, I was overcome by a very strong sense of fear and terror. I was so affected that I made my excuses and left the Zoom meeting. I had to put my head down on the bed just to calm myself down and proceed to replay the incident that had happened 28 years ago and had just took the wind out of me. During the trip in 1992, the family made plans to do a road trip from Gujarat to Delhi. The idea was to stop at major tourist points such as Mount Abu, Jaipur, Agra and then to Delhi. As you can imagine, it was a big family. Therefore, we had decided to hire out two 15-seater coaches for a total of 20 days. The tour of North India was going splendidly. We had left Jaipur and were on our way to Agra. The scenery was absolutely stunning. Therefore, we decided to stop and take a break and absorb the surroundings. The sun was also well on its way towards setting, so we had an hour to sundown. As the adults were organising and distributing food, as well as absolutely overwhelming the roadside tea shop with an epic tea order, myself and four other cousins of mine, the big cool kids, decided to venture a little further from the tea stall. Nearby, there was a small lake, which was set and surrounded by rocks and boulders. It was just about out of visual range and earshot of the tea stall. In other words, my older cousins could have a quick crafty cigarette undetected. I wasn't a smoker and had no intention to start, so wasn't too keen to hang around the smoke too much. I was in awe of the astonishing beauty of my surroundings against the setting sun. It was awesome. At that very precise moment, my gaze fell upon a very odd-looking rock from afar. It had trumped my interest and I approached it for a closer look. As I got closer, I saw the most horrific sight that I had ever encountered. It wasn't a rock, it was a woman's head. It was sandwiched between two bigger rocks. I could only see her down to the neck and the rest of her body was obscured behind a rock. The face was terrifying. To best describe it, she had a red razor-sharp tongue sticking out like a lizard. She had sharp teeth. I saw two sticking out like a vampire's would. Her eyes were big and wide, with traditional Indian makeup extending the eyeline up to the edge of her face, and her hair was pitch black and loose. She stared directly at me with an intense stare and a sinister smile. I was so terrified at this point that I was literally paralysed. Whilst I was frozen, my cousin from the States noticed the woman also, but his immediate reaction was to grab me and run as fast as possible. I remember being pulled very hard and snapping out of it and screaming at the top of my lungs. It was dark, the sun had set, and I had only enough strength to get to my parents and didn't dare look back. On our return to the family at the tea stall, 
everyone was ready to board and continue our journey. We immediately told our parents and family what had happened. My dad wasn't having any of it. He was sceptical. He was ready to go over to the lake and check what it was with my uncles and lay it all to rest. However, the man at the tea stall warned my dad and my uncle that they should leave immediately. My dad laughed at the suggestion. However, my mum is very superstitious and demanded that we left. We boarded the coaches and headed off towards Agra. The incident was so traumatic for me that I ended up with a fever for the next three days. As soon as we got to Agra, I was taken to a hospital and ended up staying overnight. Slowly but surely, the memories of this incident slipped and faded away, especially once I got back home and as I got older. Replaying this has brought it all back, but I feel emotionally, spiritually and intellectually stronger to deal with it. But one question still haunts me until this day. What was it? Legs by Ghost Hunter So, one stormy night, two of my friends wanted to go on a ghost hunt. I didn't really want to go for simply two reasons. We had gone the day before and it was pouring with rain outside. Eventually, they got me to go with the dumb idea because we had never gone during a storm before. There was an old historical marker that's just outside my town that I used to visit with my history class on field trips when I was in elementary school. At that age, I never thought that I'd be repeating the 30-minute drive in my early 20s, ghost hunting there a couple of times a month. When we arrived, I put the car in park and there was a moment of silence. I remember feeling the tension in the air as everyone was debating to get out of the car into the pitch-black darkness. There were no streetlights on this sketchy, empty road, and it was also a new moon, so you could imagine. We all had the properish rain gear on, as well as our waterproof flashlights, which were actually mine, and I didn't buy them to use in this occasion, but anything works, right? We stepped out of the car and headed for the front gate, where we paused. I gave my friends a, so we're really doing this, look, before we headed into the historical war zone. The only thing left of the buildings were the chimneys. The rest of the buildings had faded with time, which I thought was really cool. I remember going up to one of the chimneys when I was younger and touching it, asking myself if someone else back in the 1800s touched the exact same spot. Anyway, we ventured further and further into the field and headed towards the furthest corner. I've not the slightest idea why, but that's what I get for following my friends. It was a cool feeling, however, walking in the rain with flashlights as your only light source and such. Once we got to the food storage building, that I always thought of as a Walmart for some reason, we took another pause to realise how far we were from the front gate. It was at this point where it started to get a bit… odd. The storm was getting so bad that the lightning started to come over in small mob waves, it seemed, like one after the other. There was loud, crashing thunder. We decided to take cover in the food storage building, which was the only building that still had its roof. We watched out the windows as the field slowly started turning into a puddle. I remember starting to think about the 1800s again at this point. Who stood in the same spot I stood? Who else had looked outside of the same exact window back in that time? Aaron, the most fearless out of us all, 
suddenly said that we needed to leave. It caught my friend Liz and I by surprise. I just assumed it was because of the storm, but we both didn't hesitate on agreeing with him. I had so much rain stuffed in between all the crevices in my large raincoat that I swore it made it a little bit more difficult to move. We attempted to make our way towards the front gate slowly but surely, and with our heads down. The rain was blowing in our direction at this point, so it made it difficult to simply look straight ahead. However, we came to a stop just in the middle. Well, Liz and I did anyway. Aaron kept walking, and just called out to us to keep walking, but we just stood there, trying to analyse our surroundings the best we could. The reason I stopped is because I was hearing something in the distance that sounded like a faint scratching noise, like nails scratching a plank of wood repeatedly, and it wasn't stopping either. I asked Liz if she was hearing the same thing, and she agreed quickly, and we both took a glance at Aaron, who was stopping as well, looking back at us in the distance. He noticed we had looked at him, and he tried shouting at us this time, Let's go! But we continued to look around. The sound was so... ominous, that you couldn't just walk away from it without knowing what it was first. Then all of a sudden, a flash of lightning lit up the entire sky and our surroundings, and it just so happens that I was looking at this tree in the distance at the time. Now, let me give you the best visual in this very moment while this flash of lightning lit up my view. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this. The tree was similar to what a willow would look like. The leaves hang low and almost touch the ground, perfect to stand under to take cover from the beams of the hot sun. Well, this particular tree's leaves didn't touch the ground, but had to have had at least 12 or 13 feet up from doing so. The average human is about what, like 6 foot right? Now I don't know if this was my adrenaline, but it seemed like this flash of lightning lasted longer than a few seconds. Just long enough for me to see what was under the tree, against the bark. A pair of dark, long legs. Now, it doesn't seem creepy, but the problem is, it was just legs. The rest of the body was covered by the hanging leaves, which, remember, started at about 12 or 13 feet going up, so I had just caught a glimpse of a pair of legs that stood about 12 freaking feet tall. I thought my mind was playing inhuman tricks on me in this moment, but the thought went away when I heard Liz shout, Oh my god! And Aaron shout, Run! We all bolted for my car and I got the hell out of there, telling everyone not to look behind us in case they saw something more messed up. I even tilted my rearview mirror in case my curiosity got the best of me. Later that night, we found out why Aaron really wanted to leave. He said that when we were all inside the food storage building, he was watching a figure of what looked like a woman in the distance. She was holding something long, like a whip. I asked if she was inhumanly tall, and he said no. I'm not sure what the hell we all saw underneath that tree, but I'm glad that the leaves covered the rest of it. The Dullahan The Dullahan, also referred to as the Headless Horseman, is a type of fairy originating from Irish folklore. This sinister being appears as a man or a woman riding upon a black horse, but the rider has no head upon their shoulders. Typically, the Dullahan carries its head under its arm, 
the head appears dead and rotten, sometimes compared to having flesh resembling gold cheese, with the demonic grin spread across its face from ear to ear. The Dullahan carries a whip made from a human spine. Sometimes it pulls a wagon which is adorned with funeral objects, for example, candles in skulls to light the way, the spokes of the wheel are made from thigh bones, and the wagon's covering is made from a worm-chewed pole or dried human skin. When the Dullahan stops riding, that is where a person is due to die, and when a Dullahan calls out the person's name, the person immediately perishes. There is no way to bar the road against a Dullahan, all locks and gates open to them when they approach. They do not appreciate being watched while on their errands, throwing a basin of blood on those who dare to do so, or even lashing out to the watcher's eyes with their whips. They are, however, frightened of gold, and even a single gold pin can drive a Dullahan away. The most commonly known examples of the Dullahan are from the American tale The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving, and the English tale Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The 14th century poem Gawain and the Green Knight features a headless horseman who is the titular Green Knight. After he is beheaded by Sir Gawain, the Green Knight lifts his own head up with one hand and rides from the hall, challenging Gawain to meet him again on the field of battle one year later. Let Me Out of the Shower by Yo Mama The following occurrences happened in early 2011. E, our youngest daughter, and Z, our youngest son, were still living at home at this time. Our oldest daughter and her husband came over for dinner and movie night. Z's girlfriend was also there. About midway into the movie, E decided she would take a shower and go to bed, because she had to get up early for classes the next day. She said she was going to use my shower, so the hallway bathroom would be open for when anyone needed it. The rest of us watched the movie to the end. When it was over, I went to the kitchen to get some drinks for everyone. As I walked into the kitchen, I heard a faint cry. It alarmed me. I immediately thought of E, so I headed down the hall. I looked into her bedroom, but she wasn't there. Thinking she was taking a long shower, I turned to my room. When I entered my bedroom, I heard E scream, Mom! I opened the bathroom door, and right away saw E sitting on the shower floor. She was almost hysterical, screaming, I can't get the shower door open! When I grabbed the door handle, a sort of electric static feeling shot through my arm and hand. It was painful enough to cause me to drop my arm, but the door easily opened. E said she was washing her hair, when she heard what sounded like someone opening the bathroom door. She said she hollered that she was in the bathroom. She peered through the frosted shower door, and the room door looked closed. She thought she heard a low, deep laugh. It freaked her out so much that she decided to end her shower right then. She said she tried to open the shower door, but it would not open. She pushed and shoved and even kicked the door. It would not budge. My husband and I both tested this shower door over and over again, slamming it, closing it softly, trying to get it to stick, trying to prove to her and ourselves that it was just a tricky door. We could not come up with any reasonable explanation for it. 
I'm not sure if this has anything to do with that occurrence, but a few weeks earlier, he was in the shower when she received a text message from unknown number that said, I'm watching you. We never found out who sent that message. We went to the police with it, but they said they were unable to trace it. A few days after E's experience in the shower happened, I had my own experience in the shower. I was in the shower, water running hot enough so that the bathroom was becoming foggy. I could see the fog over the shower door. I heard the bathroom door softly open. Thinking it was my husband coming in, I really didn't pay it much mind. Then, I heard what sounded like a giggle. I opened the shower door and looked out to find the room bathed in fog. Right in the middle of the fog was a very dense section, in the outline of what looked like a figure. It was about three feet tall. I stood there and watched it lift what looked like an arm. I stood there mesmerised. After a minute or so, the dense section started to spread out, becoming more like the rest of the fog. I closed the shower door and forced myself to finish my shower. I kept telling myself it was just my imagination running wild. A few minutes later, I tried to open the shower door without success. I shoved on it, kicked it, leaned against it. I could not open it. After a few minutes, I tried again. It popped open. The fog had completely dissipated. As I was getting out of the shower, I noticed the window curtain had a little opening in it, just enough where I could see my neighbour's back porch steps. Lounging on his elbow, on the steps, was a grinning, greyish, hairless, skinny, almost toothless, naked man. He waved. In the blink of an eye, he was gone. I've never told anyone about the guy. Never. He looked dead. I don't know if it was my imagination or some light trick that caused me to think that I saw him. I just don't know. At my insistence, a few months later, my husband and youngest son demolished the shower and completely remodelled the bathroom. Terrifying Girl with Doll by O.G. San Let me preface my experience by establishing that before this, I was never a believer in ghosts or the paranormal. Since I am currently atheist, I used to think that if spiritual elements were man-made, then certainly ghost experiences were also figments of the imagination, right? Enter a late drive home at 3am from work. I live on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. The paranormal culture here is rich, and as a reader, it is absolutely enthralling to read or listen to. While I didn't believe in any of the paranormal elements myself, the real-life histories behind the stories could quiet entire rooms of listeners. Anyway, I'm driving home at three and have entered my neighbourhood. Because the parking lot was being refurbished, everyone in our townhouse complex had to park on the street, so parking was few and far between. The lights were also out because of electrical work being done in the streets. I pass a park and slowly begin to turn left to look for more parking, when I slam on the brakes. There is a lady, dressed in a white Hawaiian dress, standing perfectly still in the middle of the road. At first, I thought I had nearly hit a pedestrian, but then I got to examining what was in front of me. Her dress was torn and ragged near where the feet should have been. 
her long black hair fell down in front of her face. Imagine Samara from the ring. I couldn't do anything other than continue turning left. So I honked my horn and slowly tried not to hit her as I continued my turn. She jerked her face toward me and lunged. To my horror, all I could see was a very angry, dark Polynesian face covered in blood. Of course, I jerked to a stop as a reflex, and it was then that I realised that she was carrying a dirty baby doll. She stopped her lunge not six inches from my driver's side window before slowly backing away. At this point, I floored it. As I looked back, I nearly passed out, realising this lady was right behind my car. I turned another corner and circled back to where I was headed to begin with, but when I looked up the intersection to where I originally saw her, there she was again, standing in the middle of the road, cradling her doll. This wouldn't be so creepy, but I covered the length of an entire neighbouring townhouse complex as I made my U-turn. I've walked the same distance, and it's about a 15-minute walk, two to three minutes by car. She had somehow managed to hobble back to her original spot in the two minutes it took me by car. While she was annoyed before, she was now enraged, slamming the doll around and screaming. I made a few more passes, and each time she was there, but she seemed unable to leave the street she was on. I was now on the horizontal part of the T-intersection, and she was still on the vertical. By now, I am absolutely hysterical, because I need to park my car to go home and walk quite a ways to actually enter my house. How could I do that with this thing floating around? Luckily, two minutes away is our local police station. I mention the entity, and the police send someone to follow me home. Of course, by the time we get back, she's nowhere to be found, and all the streetlights are back on. I apologise, and thank the cop for following me home, and book it into my house. The next day, my neighbour, who's been good friends with my mother for more than 30 years, texts me, wondering why I was driving so erratically and honking my horn. She can see the roads in question from her bedroom and looked outside after I'd honked my horn. According to her, my car was weaving between lanes and stopping and going very suddenly before speeding off. Apparently, she thought I was texting or something, so let it go. I explained to her what had happened, and she's very religious, and told me to go home and pray. Let's just say that for the first time in years, I actually thought about doing just that. This story is still continuing to this day, actually. Ever since that night, if I take a nap in my living room on the couch when I am home alone, I always wake up paralysed and looking up to the second floor to see a veiled woman in black running in and out of the master bedroom laughing. A few times, she is looking at me as I sleep, and I wake up to that terrifying face. As I wake up, she tries to take the form of my mother, but as soon as I'm fully awake, she goes back to her hideous, natural form. A few days after the night with the white lady and the doll, I was the victim of a major head-on collision, hit and run, that totaled my car. The driver was drunk at 4pm, and driving a Ford F250 that would have flattened my tiny Honda if I was a few inches further ahead in the road. Crawler Humanoid Creature Encounters by Missy Moosen So this takes place in the Sacramento area, 
It was about two years ago now. It was winter, night time, around 2am. I'd just gotten off work but wasn't ready to go home, so I'd pulled over on the side of the road before turning into my neighbourhood. On this street, there's a suburban neighbourhood to the right and fields and trees to the left. As I was sitting there, I saw a figure come out of the neighbourhood a little less than a quarter mile ahead of where I was parked, approximately where the neighbourhood park is. It was hard to see from that distance, but it appeared tall, seven to eight feet, super skinny and bony, hunched over with long arms. It sprinted across the road at a speed faster than I've ever seen a human go. I couldn't guess the speed, but it was fast enough to concern me. If it wasn't for its speed, I probably would have just assumed it was human and ignored it. But anyways, it disappeared into the fields. Something calm came over me. I don't know what it was, but something was keeping me from panicking. I remember just feeling like, okay, it is time to leave now, and calmly drove home. It wasn't until a few months later that I realised I had seen that, and that it wasn't normal. Flash forward to a week ago, a friend and I were at the same park, doing some spells, as we're witches. As it got later into the night, we both started to feel more and more unwelcome there. As I was finishing up my spell, we heard an inhuman guttural scream that sounded like it came from the area I saw the creature cross at. That's not particularly incriminating, but as soon as I heard the scream, its apparent location made me think of the creature. I didn't tell this to my friend, as she is easily spooked, and I just calmly tried to finish up my spell. I didn't want to let my fear get out of control when doing spell work. We finally finished up and packed up and started the trek back to the car. As we left, we faced a dark area with lots of bushes and trees across from the sidewalk we were taking to get to the car. As soon as I faced that dark spot, I had the feeling of looking at a face. I didn't literally see a face, but it was the feeling of seeing one, and it didn't feel like a human face. It felt like it was something that understood what I was, but didn't understand why I was there, and wasn't quite hostile, but had the attitude of like, get out of my home. Once again, I didn't tell my friend that I saw that, not until we got into the car. Ever since then, I have not been able to shake the feeling that that face belonged to the same creature I saw two years ago. Also, a similar story was last night. I was driving home in a wooded area near Sacramento, and I saw a tall, burly figure in the woods with a white face. Not white as in Caucasian, white as in stark white. I thought it was wearing a green shirt, but I only saw it for a split second. It gave me such a bad, uneasy feeling that I started putting protection sigils on my windows. I told the guy I was with what I saw, and he didn't tell me until later, but he said he's heard rumours of people seeing white walkers in these woods that are described as tall and having white faces and black hair. I don't know if he meant skinwalkers or what, but that's what he said. I also felt like something was watching me in those woods later. The Dibbuk This isn't about the infamous Dibbuk box, but rather the demon and the law of Dibbuks at large. Before the name became synonymous with a cursed object, a Dibbuk was a spirit. The name Dibbuk translates from Yiddish 
to cling, so it's safe to say that Dybbuk's are hard to shake. According to law, it is believed that Dybbuk's escaped from Jewish purgatory, known as Gehenna, or were barred from entering Gehenna due to evil acts in life. They are believed to be an animating force that lingers after death, to seek out and then possess the body of a living person for evil purposes. The kind of person a Dybbuk seeks out to possess seems to vary. In some tellings of the law, the Dybbuk specifically seeks out an evil person to possess as some kind of punishment. However, other law seems to suggest that the Dybbuk is capable of possessing almost any kind of person, although those with weaker wills are easier to take over. Whoever the living host may be, one thing is for certain. Dybbuk's are hell. For example, a Dybbuk that died alone may inhabit a person and drive them to isolate themselves further and make them as miserable as the Dybbuk was in life. Or a Dybbuk with certain vices like drugs or alcohol may also turn those who they possess into drug addicts or alcoholics. Even worse, Dybbuks who died before they could finish what they had started on earth may force their will and evil actions on those who they possess. However, if a person was possessed by a Dybbuk, there were exorcist rites that could be taken up in order to rid the person of the clinging spirit. However, the rites are anything but simple and painless. Ceremonies would have to be conducted within a synagogue and be witnessed by ten men wearing white corpse shrouds, arms bound with sacred parchments. Prior to this, these ten men would have had to have purified themselves, usually with rituals or fasting. Then the exorcist and leader of the ritual would enter the space, wearing all black, and immediately address the Dybbuk, and not the victim. As the exorcist approached the Dybbuk, he would begin listing all the crimes that the Dybbuk made the victim commit. Once the Dybbuk was faced with its sins and the strength of those backing up the ritual, it may be convinced to leave the body it's possessing. If it was more stubborn, more rituals would arise, curses would be made, incantations to rid the Dybbuk would be read aloud, and different combinations of the 42-letter name of God would be pronounced. Eventually, the Dybbuk would be shamed and ritualed out with a lot of warnings to never inhabit another living person again. Why does shame work? Well, Dybbuks are believed to be the souls of humans and thus were once human, so they are still likely to fall prey to the same things as any person, like shame, fear, and fear of consequences. A Possum Transformed into Winged Humanoid Several years ago, my brother was a pastor at a Baptist church on Highway 90 in Dusan, Louisiana. He and his wife lived in a trailer house on the church property. They got home one evening after dark and saw an opossum that had been eating their cat food. The opossum ran out across the back of the church parking lot, which was lit by security lights, and stopped by the base of a tree about 50 yards from their back door. My brother decided he was tired of this animal eating the cat food. He opened the back door and grabbed his scoped 2-2 rifle, turned off all the lights in the house and got in a prone shooting position on the floor. He could see the opossum at the base of the tree. Its eyes were shining in the light of the security lamps. He decided he would wait until the opossum came closer for a clean kill shot. The opossum did proceed back towards his house, 
but stopped under the lights in the middle of the parking lot. That's when he was shocked by the next series of events. The opossum morphed into a humanoid figure, about six feet tall with a very small head. It was very thin and had arms and legs like a human, but was also very thin. It began to pace back and forth across the parking lot, but always looking in his direction. He said he could see its eyes shining, and he knew that it knew that he was there, even though he was in the dark. He said he was totally creeped out, but decided to wait and see what happened next. It morphed back into an opossum and ran back to its original position at the base of the tree. A few minutes later, his wife came out of the shower wrapped in a towel, and he told her she needed to see something. She got into a prone position next to him, and he directed her to look at the base of the tree where the opossum's eyes were shining. He told her to be very still and watch it with him. He said he wanted her to witness something, but did not tell her what he had seen. Shortly, the opossum again came out into the middle of the parking lot and morphed into the humanoid shape once again. His wife freaked and asked him what it could be. She thought she was looking at a demon. A few seconds later, they heard a loud rustling noise coming from it, and then two feathered wings spread out from its back. He said the wingspan was at least 12 feet. It then started flapping its wings and rose off the ground and hovered at about 15 feet, all the while still looking at them. It then gained altitude and flew towards his house and over his roof. He said he could hear its wings flapping. He said he ran outside and looked back over the top of his house and could see it heading away from them in the moonlight. It then turned and flew back over the top of his house and kept flying until they no longer could see it. Just for your information, my brother is an avid outdoorsman and hunter and is very familiar with Louisiana wildlife. He has captured poisonous snakes and alligators by hand and is afraid of nothing in the natural world. He told me that he was having a difficult time trying to rationalise what they had seen. He asked me not to tell anyone local because he didn't want the folks at his church to think he was a nut. William Bodak's Humanoid Encounter in Polk County, Wisconsin On December 2, 1974, at 10.30pm, dairy farmer William Bosak, aged 68, owner of a dairy farm for 40 years close to the rural city of Frederick in the northwestern part of Polk County, Wisconsin, had attended the meeting of the Farmer Cooperative in Frederick and was driving back by car to his rural home in the southeast of Frederick, when, at approximately a mile away from his farm, he spotted an object on the left side of the road in front of him. He was driving slowly because of the packs of fog. The headlights of the car reflected on the object and he slowed down while approaching. The object was motionless and seemed to have been between 8 and 10 feet in height, it was not luminous, but reflected the headlights and had a transparent sector resembling glass in the shape of a shell, bell or cone with a peak on the top of the machine, which was lit and in which Bosak saw an occupant, of which the top of the body was visible and who had his arms raised above his head. Although Bosak spoke about a man, the character or the creature who had a head and two arms showed characteristics that were not very human. Stiff hair or hairs came out of the side of its head, whose face itself was hairless, 
and a beardless chin. Its eyes were large and protruding, and its ears were described as pointing on 8 centimeters and resembling those of a young calf. It seemed to be dressed in something tight-fitting, covered with brown fur, or to be covered with brown hairs on the higher part of the body, including the arms. No collar or features were visible on the possible suit. The bottom of the character was lost from sight in the fog, which dissimulated it and dissimulated the bottom of the craft as well. Bosak was very frightened, but he saw that the face of the creature also showed signs of fear. He had slowed down and almost come to a halt when he arrived at the object, but overcome with fear, he accelerated and drove away from it. When he did that, the inside of his car became darker as if the headlights had weakened, and he heard a noise of friction like that of branches of trees sweeping the car. Back home, he tried to look at the area where the encounter had occurred, from the point of view of his house, but he could not see anything because of the fog. The next morning, he returned to the location in search of any landing traces or evidence of the presence of the object, but he found nothing, except that according to one version of the story, there was a flattened circular area in the field. Bosak did not tell anybody of his encounter for almost a month, not even his wife and son, but finally decided to reveal the incident, apparently by contacting a newspaper which published the story. Two APRO investigators met him, and it was said that Bosak was sincere and a man with a good reputation in his community. Understating of the scepticism of the newspaper and neighbours, Bosak commented that he would welcome a lie detector test to prove that he was not lying about his encounter. The story then entered ufological and Fortean literature as an example of Bigfoot piloting a flying saucer, while Bosak thinks himself that it was some type of alien. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's Bumper Halloween video. I hope you all have a fantastic and safe Halloween. As for me, I'll be putting my feet up, watching some scary movies, and waiting for the trick-or-treaters. Also, I'm going to take my usual one-week break after Halloween in order to catch up with a few other projects. But in a week, I will be back with some more truly terrifying videos for you. So, until next time... Sleep tight. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.